Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm well. I was like, Jesus, I need to wake up early. And I woke up right to my alarm. That doesn't always happen. There you go. <laughs> You are well this morning. The uh, the good Lord has woken you up, and uh, what like a, a minute or a second before the alarm, or five minutes before the alarm? Uh, well, no. What it was was um, the alarm went off, and I woke up to it. So normally it goes off for a good like ten oh. minutes before I wake up. <laughs> you need a louder alarm. You know what? I used to when I was in high school. This is a quick side note, but I used to have the alarm go off for an hour next to my head, and my mum from the other down of the ha- house would come down. She's like, "How do you not hear this? I just I just didn't hear it." You need to have the alarm <laughs> that I had when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was a it was a man's alarm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. It would start off with this insidious little. Oh, and then it gets louder and louder. And then it would. <laughs> it was like it would have your heart pumping and your adrenaline just absolutely. Blasting through your veins at ridiculous hours in the morning. It was, it was a terrible thing. Whoever invented that thing was just like a psycho. But it did the job. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon. I, I would love to try it. I would love to try it. How are you feeling this morning? With uh, with you. Oh yeah, yeah. See, see if I can actually. Yes. Uh, that lump has been long lost, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm doing great this morning. Oh good. Oh, that's a great. That's a solid great. Yep. Why absolutely. you feeling so great? Just. Uh, we had a thunderstorm last night. Thunderstorms Ooh, yeah. are amazing. We had a winter th- a winter thunderstorm, which are super rare. Normally, we get thunderstorms in, you know, summertime, and it was just it was just amazing. Yeah, lightning flashing, thunder rolling. Dog was barking because our dog is his favourite thing is thunderstorms, <laughs> and he was just outside celebrating. Uh, it was truly amazing. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Coming up today, we're going to uh, travel to Africa and talk about grasshoppers. We're also going to talk about floods in the local area and places of worship in relationship to COVID. What are the biggest hotspots that we have and how dangerous are places of worship at this particular time period in our COVID crisis? Stay tuned. Come on. 
to the crimson perpetual tide. Kneel down on the shore, be thirsty no more. Go under. Welcome back, guys. That was a Sixpence None the Richer with Beautiful Scandalous Night here on The Breakfast Show. Well, it's actually the morning. It's not night time, but that's a cool song anyway. Mm. I think we should listen to that song in the morning. Yeah. I, it speaks it about a night long, long ago. Anyway, let's, uh, let's have a clue for our quiz. Yes, okay. Let's kick off the quiz this morning. Alrighty, so what am I? First clue, though it is hidden, Jesus says he will give some of this to those who overcomes. Okay, I am going to write down this word here. Uh, that one right there should be it. Correct. Yes. Alrighty. Just give me a, give me a question from Revelation and things. Are all good. <laughs> and you'll be sorted. <laughs> That's an extra clue for everybody, by the way. Okay, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. hidden thing that Jesus will give to the overcomer. Mm-hmm. So our prize for today is called Our Story is Good, God Stories by Stephen Piers and Eileen Felberg. Um, and it's just a story of personal encounters with God. Um, it's filled of stories with hardship and loss, but ultimately being transformed by God's love. These guys are literature evangelists and outback missionaries. Oh, amazing. And so if you are you know, looking for good you know, divine appointment stories, these are the kind of people who have just lots and lots and lots of them, and they have them all the time because they're constantly having those experiences mm. or and sharing those experiences. And the more you share them, you know, the more you collect them. And so they've collected a whole bunch of these stories together. So that's fantastic. Um, Man, I want to read these this guys book. are heroes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Eileen Felberg, she like spends her life on the road with a four wheel drive and a camper trailer doing missionary work uh, right through the outback. Just, just. Amazing! You, you, you kind of—they're the kind of people you sort of—you never know where you're going to just bump into them next. Right, right. <laughs> and you bump into them in the most random places, mm. and yeah, yeah, it's, you just always have a, a great time whenever you do. So, I would definitely highly recommend this story. So, what is it that Jesus will give to the over- overcomer that is currently hidden? Phone numbers are? 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. And Let us know. positively different news is? Mm, yes. Let me tell you. Okay, so. Listen. Guns and Bibles, right? Yeah. I just, just read this just this morning. Um, so in Papua New Guinea, 
Yeah, when you summarizes. when you think guns and Bibles, you usually think the United States. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a different no, no. different kind Plot of a story this morning. Yep. Um, so basically. This just says dozens of young people, so I'm not sure how many people, um, but who had been previously um, involved in criminal activities, surrendered drugs and um, firearms in exchange for Bibles. So they had been running some weekly, um, I guess, evangelistic, uh, no, sorry, weekly studies that was going to lead up to an evangelistic campaign, but it didn't happen in May because COVID and such things. Um, And yes, it was just a... Swap one out for something way better. So this was something that the people who were running the weekly Bible studies offered. Yes. We will give you Bibles in exchange for guns and drugs. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it worked. And, and what did they do with the guns and the drugs when they got them? Well, look. <laughs> the doesn't new story, tell me. The new story doesn't say, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. But you know what I like about this? It says that we gave them Bibles and we want to help disciple them and to discover the Word. I love yeah. that it's not just we take a thing, you have a thing, go be on your way. You know, yes. because I think that that discipleship is a really important part. Because if that's been your life, and maybe that's been your whole friend, like friendship circle, that's been a part of whatever these activities are. Now, at least you have people who are willing to embrace you into something new and different, new and different and better, and also to help you establish a different income line. Absolutely, uh, because in these developing countries, if you you take away the uh, criminal activities that they're involved in, often they're then facing starvation because they live from mm. one day to the next. Yeah. And so we need to definitely be doing whatever we can to um, to get rid of these you know, criminal activities. But, you know, methods that they've used in the past like um, just aerial spraying, um, you know, drug plantations with uh, herbicides have just resulted in lots and lots of people being starved. Mm. And so we need to be able to like, okay, let's cut this out. Let's kill the drugs. Let's get rid of the drugs out of society. Let's get rid of the crime out of society. You know, swap over your guns. You get your free Bible. But you also get then mentoring and mm. discipling and different income streams and setting people up to live a new and better life. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's 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 easy if you're not in that situation to be like, oh, why can't they just stop? Just change. Just make a better choice. And you're like, well, hold on. <laughs> Maybe there doesn't seem like there's any choices available. That's right. You know? And Papua New Guinea has, you know, a very, very major problem with um, rascals, mm. which is um, <coughs> their word for criminals. Oh, that's so gentle. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, they're a bit cheeky. <laughs> no, they're rascals. They're yeah, rascals. Yeah. rascals in Papua New Guinea, if you, if you come across rascals uh, and you come away with your life, you're doing well. Oh. So if you look on the, you know, the okay. Australian government travel advisory, mm-hmm. there are some countries that are marked red, like bright red. P- places like Afghanistan and mm. Syria and Papua New Guinea. Right. And it's only 4 kilometers away from Australia. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It's our nearest neighbor. So it's good to see some really positive things happening in Papua New Guinea. And of course, this is an an, an a nation that has very, very few resources that they can put into effective policing. Yes. And it's incredibly challenging. You've got 600-plus different languages that you've got to deal with. Um, You've got incredibly remote communities. You've got communities that have never, ever, ever been entered by any form of civilization ever at all. Amazing, hey. It's one of like three locations in the world where you find those kinds of tribes that have, you know, are uncontacted tribes. Mm. So law and order and policing in a, in, a, in a nation like that is just incredibly challenging. Mm. Um, I was going to say, that even just on the language thing that you just mentioned, 
how hard is it in places where they speak all the one language and there's still law and order problems, let alone... Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one of the challenges we have here in Australia with COVID right now is being able to communicate to uh, people who have immigrated and mm. who have English as their second language. Mm. You know, Man, that's so huge. But at least we have English as a main language and yeah. everybody's supposed to kind of learn, learn you know, some level of English. Whereas over there, it's like, where do you even start? I yeah. <laughs> you know, sure, you've got English and you've got Pidgin, which are widely spoken, mm. but not universally. And then you've got uncontacted tribes. What happens if COVID gets loose in one of those? Mm. Yeah. You know what I wonder with this? Like, is it... Is it a story that people just go, oh, there's something free you're offering? Oh, yeah, like, well, or is it just this point of desperation or seeing their need? Or is it, because I know. Okay, so so just commenting on that. Oh, yes. Okay. Both of the items that they are handing in mm, are items of incredible value. Yeah. Uh, we all know here in Australia the value that drugs have. Mm. Uh, place like Papua New Guinea, you know, you don't have your local gun shop where you can go and, you know, fill out your paperwork. Um, get all your checks done, get your permit to acquire and buy a firearm. Guns are actually really quite rare and hard to get hold of. So the fact they're giving this is really significant. really, really valuable. Mm. Mm. Very, very valuable. So these are, these are significant um, sacrifices they are making to get Bibles and to get a new life. Wow. Yeah, this is a great story. This is super this encouraging. This is a great story, yeah. yeah. This is so good. I feel and, 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 of course, even if there was gun shops where you could go, you know, do your permit to acquire, buy a firearm, whatever, like we have here in Australia, where are you going to get the money for that in Papua New Guinea? Mm. If, you, if you're a, a Papua New Guinea national, where are you going to find that kind of money? Mm. These are not cheap items. Yeah. Actually, you know what, though? Even Bibles over there are quite expensive. Yes. Like we kind of take for granted, oh, I just go buy a new Bible. But actually, I remember, I'm a bit different, but when I was in Fiji, I remember meeting someone and the, the equivalent of their like wage to what the Bible's cost would me like paying like three or four hundred dollars for a Bible. And I was like, oh, well, you okay. know, you're going to buy a very, very basic firearm in Australia for four hundred dollars and they're really going to start at around the thousand dollar mark. <sighs> and they're looking at a Bible as being the same value as a firearm. Hmm. That just goes to show how much value they place on Scripture. We had a couple of interesting comments Ooh. that come, came through. Uh, somebody who lived in Papua New Guinea for a lot longer than I did has talked about you know, the number of guns that are actually in Papua New Guinea and the level of violence. And so I'm going to uh, and uh, I'm, I'm actually going to comment on this. I, I think it's worth commenting on because it goes to the point that we were talking about that handing over a gun in Papua New Guinea in exchange for a Bible is a massive sacrifice. Mm. And it shows the value that these guys are placing on owning a Bible and giving their life to Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, a few stats on uh, gun ownership around the world. Which country do you reckon has the most guns per capita? At a guess. Come on, this should be obvious. Look, I want to say America. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, that's obvious. Oh, well, that's, the I was like, maybe States. it's too obvious. Maybe this is a trick question. <laughs> this is, this is, okay, so they uh, for every 100 people in the United States, uh, they name, they rank number one with 120 guns per 100 people. What? So that's a fair few guns, yeah. That's so many guns. Um, guess which country comes number two in the world with half the gun ownership of the United States? Australia? Thinking, no, 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 no. Know. We have strict gun laws here in Australia. Um, the Falkland Islands. I don't even you know would what that never is. have guessed. I don't that. even know what that is. <laughs> okay, it's a uh, it's a uh, archipelago off the east coast of Argentina. Has a population of about two thousand people. Oh, I do. that's second. 
Second second highest gun ownership in the world per capita. Oh, so sixty two point one guns per person. New Zealand comes in at twentieth in the world. Hmm. Australia comes in at fifty one in the world for gun ownership. Uh, Papua New Guinea comes in at one hundred and ninety third in the world at one okay. gun per one hundred people in Papua New Guinea. Right. So that's not a huge. That's not a high gun ownership by anyone's standard. What you do have in Papua New Guinea is a very high criminal rate, mm-hmm. and so the guns then become much more – the guns that are there become much more visible because they're used much more regularly uh, for crime. Yes, yeah. And so if you look at crime stats, um, we've got here – oh, let me see. I've got a whole bunch of crime stats on Papua New Guinea. Um, there was one I was looking at here. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, the increase of crime in the past three years – they're number one in the world. Yeah, number one. What? Uh, let me see. I find because another. of the increase, the the oh. rate of increase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're right, number right, one right, in the right. world. Um, their level of crime per person. They're third in the world. Um, burglaries. They're seventh in the world. Um, cannabis use. They're sitting at number one. That was interesting to me. Um, yeah, so you know, you start going down through these crime stats, and you start to see why mm. you're going to see a lot more guns when you go to Papua New Guinea than you're going to see here in Australia. Even though there's far more guns here, absolutely, mm. and that's the issue. The issue in Papua New Guinea is the incredibly high rate of violence and crime, and the threat that you are under while visiting that country. Which is one of the reasons why, when you look at the travel map, it is bright red. Yes, so people want. Yeah. Yes. So you're much more likely to mm. see one there mm. than what you are in Australia, yes. even though there are less of them. Um, and so, yeah, interesting. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us in the studio this morning is Neil Thompson. Neil, Woo-hoo. welcome to the show. Yay, thanks, Lyle. It's great to be here with you this morning. Now, Neil, uh, you've been on the show many times before. You've done a, uh, a whole series there for a while on relationships and so forth. Yeah, Love Matters, that's love it. Love Matters. That's, we, we should bring that back again sometime. Oh, totally we should. That's that it. was just so much or, fun. Or do we think that we're beyond love these days? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that you should know about Neil is that Neil is a... Uh, uh, travels tremendously um, in his car. Like I don't know how. And many... I read lots of books when I travel. Exactly. So how many kilometers a year do you, do you do? Uh, around sixty thousand k's. Sixty. Okay, that's a decent amount. Yeah. And wherever Neil travels, he is reading a book. And so uh, we had Neil on a couple of times last year to do a book review, and I'm super excited to find out what book are we reviewing today? What's your what's your latest, greatest read? Well, this is not the latest or greatest, but it is one of the rippers that I've read recently, and it's called it's by Coltier Rapiel, and it's called The Culture Code. Okay. And what he's doing is actually saying, what are the what are the memes? What are the stories? What's the the thing behind the thing that helps unlock the meaning for people in culture? And you know, even that, even when I say that, it almost sounds like double dutch. But but think of it this way: think of the earliest moments in life where an emotion gets imprinted into us around something as simple as home. What does home mean for you? What does food mean for you? What does a Jeep Wrangler mean for you? You know, <laughs> and so on. So, so these are all different things and, and they've been studied. And it's really fascinating that in different places around the earth, these different things mean vastly different things. 
Okay, so have you got some uh, illustrations there as to how it varies from one country to another as far as, you know, what... Uh what home or food or the Jeep Wrangler means? Well, let's start with the Jeep. Because, okay, well, you know, why not? Why not? Because I know you're a cars man. So, and, a, and a four-wheel drive man as well. That's it. That's it. So, so you're talking my language already. That's right. So Jeep in the 1990s in America was a failing brand. They were at a crossroads. They were wanting to reintroduce a whole new kind of um, Wrangler and what their idea was, was they'd done their market research and decided that all the soccer mums, they just wanted a, an SUV four-wheel drive. And so Jeep were about to start manufacturing a um, SUV four-wheel drive that just looked like, you know, beige like all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And then they, they got um, Coltier to come in and to consult with their company. And he then did some focus group work. His focus group work was like unlike anything they'd ever experienced before. And basically, he helped them unlock the code for Jeep. So this is the culture code? This is the culture code. Okay, so they're marketing to a culture now. They're marketing to a culture. And and what, what he, and it's really quite fascinating, right? What he discovered was that in America, the earliest imprint of Jeep was all about the horse. So the Jeep, for Americans, is like a horse. It's it's can go anywhere. It doesn't have a lot of luxury appointments. It's got hard leather saddle that you sit in. But like John Wayne, you can ride it over the ridge. You can go down steep mountains through the river up the other side. And it's the Wild West. So that was the code for Jeep and I've always said I've always said that to own a Jeep Wrangler you need to have you, you also need to own a cowboy hat and a pair of six guns. Right. <laughs> okay, so so that's exactly the image, right? Right there is 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 for for America what Jeep was all about. Now, as a result of that, they their TV commercial they produced to go with that was a kid with his dog walking in the up in in a in the remote bush somewhere. The dog fell over a cliff and was hanging on by a branch. And the kid ran down and he's, he ran through the nearest town and he goes past all of other vehicles, you know, the other four-wheel drives, and he finally comes to someone who's got a, a Jeep Wrangler. And they jump in the Wrangler, doors are off, the roof's off, and they ride their way up the ridge and they're able to rescue the dog. And as he grabs the dog, he turns to thank the guy with the Wrangler, but the guy with the Wrangler's already gone and he's just driving down into the sunset. It's this classic iconic thing and that immediately resonated with culture and immediately to the shock of everyone in Chrysler sales just took off and uh, Coltair knew that he was on to something really huge in terms of unlocking a culture code for America the Jeep was all about a horse. Okay, but we also have Jeeps here in Australia. They have Jeeps in Europe. There are Jeeps in different parts right. of the world. And, they, and, and we all have very, very different cultures. We do. So in Europe, he went to Europe and did the same focus groups, got them together, and over three hours unlocked for, for Jeep in Europe. And guess what it was? I have no idea. For them... So in, in France and in Germany, the Jeep was a... Because they, they don't have the Wild West. They don't have no history of the Wild West. None they don't at all. have that, that Hollywood, you know, romanticised Wild West. But their first imprint of the Jeep was in World War One, World War Two, with the, um, the Jeep arriving with the Liberators. Right. So in Europe, the, the Jeep is all about liberation. 
Yes. Making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, so, that's your first thing you're going to think of with the, with the Jeep in Europe. Is, right. Because, um, you know. Coming off, a, coming off a landing craft on the beaches of Normandy. Right. Or you're. Or you're you Driving can, through the surf, you know. You can think of. Um, oh, who was that really? Um, General Patton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sitting in the, the open Jeep, you know, and he's just marching through, you know, conquering, you know, getting rid of the, the, um, the dark moments in Germany of their, their sad history, liberating them from their sad history, or in France, liberating their country from oppression. The, the great liberator. There it is. That, that image. Um, and the minute they started advertising with that as their meme, man, it just changed things enormously. Wow. Hugely successful. So what do you think it is here in Australia? He doesn't actually say in his book. He doesn't comment on Australia. I can remember, I can remember when uh, the Jeep Wrangler first came to Australia because Jeeps were very, very rare um, until, what was it, the TJ Wrangler came out here. And uh, I, I remember seeing the big billboards with, you know, park anywhere, wherever you so-and-so want. You know, right. park anywhere you want kind of thing. <laughs> the Picture Rebel, this. right? Yeah, the Rebel. Absolutely, the Rebel. Um, and, and a Jeep just, you know, epitomizing that... Uh, um, that rebel and that um, that sense of uh, I can do whatever I want now. Right. I can go wherever I want. Yeah. It, it's it's almost like complete freedom. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think – now, that's what I think the culture code would be, would be around freedom or something along those lines, but a, maybe a rebellious kind of freedom. And if you think of the, the, um, the Jeep ads in more recent times here in Australia, it's been, you know, is there anybody out there, you know, going where no one's ever been before? The car can get out there. You know, uh-huh. maybe it's a little iffy where the car gets home again. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, it can certainly get out there. And it's just like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, right? No, I'm, yeah. I'm ripping Jeep off. I should, <laughs> shouldn't do that. I'm just tongue in cheek. But it, it's really interesting. And, and what he does with that. He- but see, what I see coming through there is a, um, it, it harks back to here in Australia. We come from a convict culture. Yeah. Um, and so we've got that sense of freedom along with that sense of rebellion combined together. Right. We do. We don't have that same Wild West. We're, we're not going to have anyone have tell in, us what to do. Yeah. We don't, yeah. Have, we don't have the Wild West that they have in, in, in the United States or the liberation they had in, in, uh, in, in Europe. But, uh, yeah, and, and what I find interesting here is they're selling the unsellable, right? You know, you, you think the Jeep, the Eskimos, right? That's, that's <laughs> the Jeep the, is the most <laughs> impractical vehicle on the planet. It's got no space in it. They're thirsty on fuel. It's just like, what are these for? But whenever you sit in one, and I've driven them many times, you just have this. You just have this image. It's like this is so cool. I am, you know, I'm, I'm the man because I'm now, sitting in a now. Jeep. What he did as well, he changed in the Wrangler. He got them to change from square headlights to round headlights. And his reason for that is because horses don't have square eyes. Really? And that change convinced Chrysler in America that he knew his stuff because immediately they made that change, sales went up. Isn't that amazing? Because I remember the model before, which didn't come to Australia, had square headlights and it it just didn't work. Right. And... Then it actually went even further. It started. People started making T-shirts which said "Real Jeeps have round eye, round <laughs> round lights." You know, it's just just amazing, right? Yeah. He he unlocked the code. So there's code for many things in life. Yeah. So let, let's that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, we're, we're talking just illustrating about, it here through Jeep. That's right. So he he then went and and actually for for other companies actually started saying, okay, so what is the American code for love? Okay. The culture That's code for love in America yeah. uh-huh. is false expectation. Right. And the American culture code for seduction is manipulation. Wow. 
So okay. and, and, and contrast that. Yeah, well, how does that then contrast with Europe? Because obviously his French for, is European. That's right. So, you know, he's a, he's a French man. And so in, in France, their idea of, um, of seduction is all about romance and, and about the journey and about the delight of being seduced. Whereas in America, it's actually, I manipulate you. So I'm going to manipulate you so that, and so, you know, they will take you by force. So sex in America. So this is why America then is the heart and soul of the porn industry? I guess, yeah. Where you have, you know, it's it's not about romance. Not at all. It's, um, a, it's about sex, it's about force, it's about um, oppression. Yeah. And it really drives things. And... You know, um, America is looking for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. So it drives Hollywood, you know, the pursuit of Mr. and Mrs. Wright. <laughs> and yet, that's a false expectation, right? Of course it is. It's like there, there never is a Mr. and Mrs. Isn't. Wright. There's it, no it's, such thing. It's, um, it's someone who can actually be a great partner for you. Yeah. But they are not necessarily the Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. The one. The yeah, one. The one. There's right. no such thing as the one. The only one that there is is Jesus Christ. That's the only one. Apart from that, there's no such thing as the one. The one is the one who you make it work with. Right. Right. But Hollywood is all about the one. Oh, you found your soulmate. There are a lot of soulmates out there. You make a soulmate. You don't find one. Right. And and in actual fact, even take that one step further, you be a soulmate. Exactly. Yeah. So who can I be a soulmate to my mate and and in doing so, invite her to be a soulmate back again? Now, that's a great combination, right? So, So that's one of the things we're actually looking at. But one of the primary tensions in American culture as well is one between freedom and prohibition. So on the one hand, they want, they want freedom, but they want to prohibit that. And so there's this, there's this mm-hmm. constant tension in American culture between that. You know, you just look at the, uh, the, the actual prohibitionists against anti, um, anti-alcohol and so on, and then the right to drink, and, and on it goes. It just weaves its way through their culture. And that's part of their Puritan heritage as well as their, their, their wanting to, to get freedom from that. And it's just really interesting looking at that. Yeah, and it comes down to the, you know that old argument of you know, is it freedom over over liberty or liberty over freedom? Right. Oh, I like, I like <laughs> you start, that. You start to dig into that one, yeah, and you really open a can of worms. Yeah, looking deep, and you'll find a big difference there between um, historically between Europe and America as well. Right. Um, which is one of the reasons why you know America has um, you know been so vehemently anti-communist because you know you've got liberty over freedom. Whereas, um, you know, you, you turn that around the other way, and yeah, you get you get socialism and communism, and so forth. But yeah, another 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 discussion for another day. It, it is, it is. So one of the one of the things to think about is what's what's the culture code around food. Now this is interesting. When you look at Europe, what's Europe famous for when it comes to food? Well, it depends what part of Europe. Because well, it, think France. Uh, croissants. Croissants, yeah. Well, you're thinking food type. Okay. I'm I'm thinking high class cafes. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Restaurants with with food and and, and if the you serving do it, if size. If you do it wrong when you're in France, they get upset. <laughs> right. They actually now, get upset. The, the, the serving sizes are not huge. No. Because it's not meant to be. It's actually meant to be the flavor and the the experience. So for them, it's about the experience of eating. And, and in actual fact, in the in the story, he actually tells of his first experience of a wedding in Europe, and um, as a young man growing up, and and it was like, 
it was a feast that went on for days and if you ate too much it didn't matter just go to the bathroom relieve yourself and you know vomit whatever and then come back and hope no one's you know just eating breakfast while they're listening to this and and then you just keep feasting right whereas in america a wedding is kind of like over in a couple of hours and that's it you americans know? have the shortest weddings on the planet right yeah, um, like a fraction the length of an australian wedding even yeah wow and ours are pretty short yeah ours are pretty short so but for for europe and particularly for France, food is all about the experience, okay, of, of dining, and it's 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 um it's incredible ritualized experience. For America, food is like um like so much of American culture. In fact, it's all about the speed. Oh, so for for them, you know, they yeah, of course, they just want to have um quick meals, mm-hmm. whatever. And TV dinners, fast food, drive through. That's it. And so that's that was driving them. Now, on top of that, one of the one of the things that 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 sort of flow out of that is the um, the the dining room. So for America, it's actually about food preparation. So if you think of Thanksgiving, they will come in and they will they will turn that into a bit of a feast. But it's the experience of preparing the food there, not so much the eating. The eating is still done relatively quickly. Um, so anyway, there's just, just some interesting insights that come when we start looking at the deeper stories behind a culture which really got me thinking about what are the deepest stories behind our culture here in Australia and what are the deepest stories in our culture that Christianity really speaks beautifully into. Yeah, absolutely. What have you what what are the what are the thoughts that you've come up to as far as, you know, our culture and and how we relate to Christ? Okay. Well, Australia is, you know, you think of some of the great things. Mateship is a, is a really driven thing in Australia. You mm-hmm. can do any number of things, but if you're rat on your mates, you're, you're, you're just the lowest of the low. So mateship's really important. Um, egalitarianism is really important. If you're getting, if you think you're, you're above everyone else, well, we'll chop you down. So they're really important cultural things in Australia, as is the idea of owning a Turak tractor or something like that. The ex- the expression of freedom, whether you've got it or not, doesn't matter. But it's the idea of being able to go anywhere you like and do whatever you like. So that that sense of freedom. So what's that say about how we should communicate the gospel in this kind of context? What it actually translates into is the um, we, we we shouldn't be coming in sort of telling people what to do or how to do it. We should be coming in saying, oh, by the way, if you want the ultimate freedom, if you want the ultimate mate, Jesus is your ultimate mate. You want the ultimate freedom um, in your workplace, in your family, wherever. Well, actually, that actually comes through an encounter with Jesus who actually not only does he actually bring freedom and deliverance, but he actually brings you the, the greatest life. I mean, you think of... Another um, cultural um, story for Australia is the good life is about the beach and the barbecue, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the good life. Well, how does Christianity speak into that? Now, often our experience and our expression of Christianity is Americanized. Well, American Christianity isn't really Australian Christianity. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our Australian culture is different. It's actually around. So I think some of the things that we should be looking at is, is more barbecues as, as church communities, as more beach and, and sort of park kind of experiences and not telling people what they can't do, but telling them what instead Jesus, um, can actually liberate their life with what he provides, what he provides. Yeah. 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 So rather than telling them that, uh, say, for instance, you know, with, with the Sabbath, for instance, rather than telling them that you 
can't work on the Sabbath, you tell them, hey, you've just been given a public holiday once a week. I mean, we love public public holidays in this right. country. It's called the land of the long weekend for a reason. Right. And there's, uh, there's a big difference between the two ways that you communicate that right there. And I shake my head in wonder at people who, you know, oppose Sabbath keeping. I'm linking seriously. You know, God wants to give you a day off once a week and a you don't want free it. day off. <laughs> Guilt-free day off. And for the Aussie male, what that translates into, you know, is you don't have to mow the lawns, right? Yes. So freedom from it's mowing lawns. It's a guilt-free lawns. day off. No no chores around the house so the, uh-huh. so the missus doesn't uh-huh. have to get on your back about doing things that day. And you can actually go to the beach. You can have a barbecue. You can hang out with mates at church. You can do all kinds of things on that day as well as make the world a better place. Yeah, fantastic. It's just a great, great day that God has given us. It's a gift that he's given us. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of things that we uh, could really dig into with this um, this cultural situation here and, in Australia. And I think, but I think what he does, he just gives you lots of room to think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, and we need to do that. We are, we are out of time. We are going to have to move on. But uh, maybe sometime we can talk about, um, okay, so we come from a, a, uh, a convict culture, heritage here in Australia, which has now become a multicultural Australian, Ooh, which is creating nice. an entirely new dynamic. Maybe it we should discuss is. that one sometime. But right now, we need to move on. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, meaning question of the day. Question of the day. Okay, we, it's time for... Question of the day. Too keen, too yeah, keen. Yeah, too keen, too keen. <laughs> Um, so basically, these are there's some bizarre verses in the Bible. Yes. And we want to understand this one. Why is it here? What does it mean? So in Ezekiel 23, verse 19 and 20, it says, Yet she multiplied her whoredoms in calling to remembrance the days of her youth, wherein she played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she doted upon their paramours, whose flesh is as the flesh of asses and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Why why is this here? What is it talking about? What does it mean? Yeah, okay, there's a pretty full-on verse right here. It's pretty, yeah. And if you've got young children nearby that are going to ask strange questions, then use some discretion uh, because we are going to talk about what this verse is actually talking about. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, we've got to identify the woman. Mm -hmm. The woman in the Bible is always a symbol of God's people. Mm -hmm. And here you have the woman um, as uh, a symbol here of God's people, in other words, Israel at this particular uh, period. And it's talking about the time that she was a prostitute in Egypt and how she lusts after her lifestyle as a prostitute. Hmm. And she lusts after the men that she was with. It's an illustration that is giving. It's not talking about a literal circumstance, although if you want a literal example of it, you could look at the story of Hosea and Goma, mm-hmm. um, where Goma was an incredibly broken person. And you're going to find that within this passage here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is writing to uh, God's people because they are incredibly broken people at this particular time and mm-hmm. they are just lusting in all of the wrong places. And so God's like, okay, just to illustrate how far you guys are going, because, you know, when somebody is lusting after somebody else's genitals, there's no relationship. Mm. interest there whatsoever at all. It's purely the satisfaction of the flesh and nothing else. And God's like, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be be married to you as my people, but you don't want to have a relationship. You just want to have physical pleasure and you are just lasting after, you know, Sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all you like. You know, it's just, just it's the only thing that you're interested in. You're not interested in a relationship. And so God is drawing a contrast between a relationship that is purely physical 
and also not just purely physical but immoral as well with multiple partners and a relationship that is much, much more than that. A relationship that is deep and personal and intimate and close and special and involves love rather than passion. And he's basically saying to his people, okay, you're lusting after all this stuff. You don't know what you are missing out on. Mm. Because when you have a relationship where there is love and where there is intimacy and where you are the best of friends, then the passion and the sex and you know so forth that is a part of that relationship is just so special and so amazing. But if you take all of the rest out of it and all you've got left with is sex, it's very, very empty. And he's like, your connection is empty mm. because there's no connection with me. The idolatry of Egypt is never going to provide the relationship that I can provide. That's what that verse is there for. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.